Hey there, it's good to have you here. Thank you for picking up the earbuds, sticking them in your ear, putting me on the radio while you're driving your car, whatever it is that you're doing. I appreciate you. So let's jump into it. We have got Richard Hoy on this episode. This man is a salesman. He is very strong-willed, very big presence. Um, he's a VP of sales for LeadCore in Canada, LeadCore Technical Services. And today we really talk about the, the values. We talk about having a core group of mates that pull you through and hold you accountable and how this really helped him get to where he is now, having an amazing life, um, making a lot of money, having a lot of fun along the way. And really the definition of a leader and how you can create and maintain those core group of mates that really hold you and help you get where you want to go. There are some real gems of wisdom in this episode. Very grateful to have him on, and I know you're going to love it. Welcome back, guys. Thank you for joining us once again for an episode of the Live More, Regret Less podcast. Today, we have got a great man by the name of Richard Hoy. Thanks for joining us, mate. How are we doing? Uh, good. I mean, it's, it's great to be here on a, on a Sunday morning. It is. It is. So let's just jump into our high and low for the week as we do. I'll model it with my high for the week. Um, so I've had a pretty good year. been enjoying myself. And a couple of weeks ago, maybe four or five weeks ago, I met this girl that uh, stood out more than the rest and have been spending some time with her. Uh, it's been pretty fun, challenging, um, but yeah, actually, it's been lots of fun. So the low, rolling off that, I think is timing for me, definitely pretty much set it every week for the last month, is just how do I get all the things I need to do squashed into my day. It's definitely getting better every week, but it's still the main focus for me at the moment. Your turn. My turn. I think that... I've had two really great highs, but one basically happened because of the low. Um, so I, I, I have the perfect job. I get to work with lots of people. I have I don't know, nearly a thousand people who work in my organization. And I really enjoy building a business and building teams and building capability around performance, but around a set of values. And I was finding myself in a real rub with another person with very high values, but our style was, our style is remarkably different. And this week, um, after a couple of weeks of us walking around sort of glowering at each other, we got into a room and we talked about what was going on. And um, in front of me right now is, is, is I've got the companion document that I took into the room with me. And it talks about commonality of values and style differences. And the alarming thing was as a result of going into the room and talking about our commonality of values, which, were, which are absolutely aligned. We genuinely believe in building great business. We believe in building people. We build, believe in doing good business and treating people right. Uh, we believe in that everything we should do should be making money. 
we believe in the demeanor of yes, in the, the optimism that comes along with the demeanor of yes. We believe in perpetual innovation and constantly being bold in trying to do new and different things. Uh, we build, believe in extreme ownership and running towards the fire when things aren't going well, which includes this meeting that we had. And we believe in being grateful. Um, grateful is about um, behaving with humility and, uh, and, and behaving with respect, but mostly taking the time out to say thank you. And our style differences really come down to the fact that I believe in the concept of fail fast, fail fast and forward, um, do something right now, do it urgently, and pull out the bones and look at what works and look at what isn't working. And um, my partner in this conversation, uh, he's much more about making sure that we tr he tries to minimize risk, avoid some of the fails, whereas I believe fail really quickly, fail small, but mostly get the wheels moving really, really quickly mm. so you can get momentum. Yeah. And the problem in our conversations, in our communications, in our partnership is all bound down to me because I'm so comfortable with the ambiguity of failing that I don't talk about the process I'm driving ourselves through around failing early and failing fast and not failing in the same way twice and keeping the risk really limited. And so he's worried about that this that if you take one of these fails and you extrapolate that into a common behavior you've got a big problem and you've got it's going to thoroughly impact maybe people or thoroughly impact profitability or or whatever it is or th thoroughly impact a customer and so it was us agreeing and agreeing a way of us communicating that we walk i walked out of that room feeling it was the most powerful meeting i've had all year so far mm. that was great my low on the other hand was to find that somebody who I'd been working with and have been supporting has not been playing with a straight uh, bat, has not been playing f honestly, and has been saying one set of words to me and doing something else behind my back. Now, I, my choice at the time, I, I reacted to that. I was pretty hurt, upset, offended. And then I decided I was going to take ownership of it. And so my second, my second high was really this moment, this aha moment, when I decided that it wasn't about him. It was absolutely about me and about if, if it's going to be better, if I'm going to get to the other side of this, rather than switching the person off and not working with them, um, I was going to take control of how I emotionally felt about it and I was going to double down on figuring out how to make this a better outcome for both of us. That's mm. tough, taking that ownership and yeah. yeah, extreme ownership. So, man, I really want the guys to get to know you a bit and how you got from where you were back in the UK, okay. hitting the streets. Can you give us a bit of the hero origin story and yeah, a well, bit of the. I have to say, online. I have to say, I don't feel like a hero. It feels like it's been a game of inches uh, for the last thirty-five years. Um, I'm I, my, my schooling wasn't a particularly glamorous affair. Uh, I found myself not enjoying school. I'm dyslexic, and uh, and 
I found myself through the whole of my school period really finding a, a dichotomy in that every school appraisal, every uh, report card, anything, really basically was, was always a bit of a hack up, of, uh, you know, cut, cut me up about the fact I didn't try hard, I wasn't paying attention or whatever it might be. And then every exam, I, I got good grades, which was a, a strange dichotomy. But by the time I was 18, I really couldn't um, wait to get out and do stuff. And it was almost like I felt like I was a, a coiled spring waiting to go and figure something out. And everything I'd been doing up until then when I was at school had been just sitting on my hands, waiting for waiting for the bell to ring so I could get out and do shit. Um, I started with nothing and needed money. And the shortest way of getting money that I could find was going and knocking on doors. And I figured out really, really quickly, I was really, uh, I, that if I went and I was genuine and honest and built relationships with people and found a way to connect with people, that ultimately they'd give me money. I mean, they'd give me money for services rather than just giving me money, but they'd give me money. And I found really, really quickly that that was the route to getting my first apartment, getting my first cars, being able to take girls out, which was my central theme of my life uh, for that, that period of my life. It, and it was what, what was going to give me the path. And I, I realized really early as well that I absolutely love other people. I love working with people and I love building other people. And so by the time I was 19, I had 54 people working for me selling. And, um, and then when I was 23, I joined my first corporate, which was Xerox, and it was an amazing company. It was a meritocracy. Um, first, first day back from the training course, they, 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 I, I found out I was in the middle of a competition. So I was in a 12-month competition, and it was like, oh, my God, the, 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 there's a mountaintop. And the mountaintop defined me. And I was so determined I was going to win that I, that I basically worked every hour that God sent. Um, it was the first thing I thought about in the morning. It was the last thing I thought about at night. Every moment of every day, every second of every day, all I could think about, what is, about was what it was going to feel like to stand on the stage in front of all of these guys who were all better than me. And I was going to win a prize. And it didn't matter what the prize was. To be honest with you, um, you know, I, I have, at times in my career, I have thrown away every sense of, every, every sense of proportion to win, I remember one silly prize where, where it was an Italian meal that you had to make yourself. It was a, a tin of tomatoes, a tin of mince meat, um, some spaghetti and some oregano in a little plastic uh, pouch. And that was the, the prize for the week. That was the reward. <laughs> that was the reward. It was complete crap. But it was the winning and being the one who got that award. It was, um, and that's been my driver, is being clear in my mind, I want to win. I want to be there. Um, was that was that always there? Like when you were, you know, you were saying you are in school, was that always there or was it when you, know, you started knocking doors and you're like oh shit I'm pretty good at this and you saw the potential for what you could become well I wasn't very good at it I just wanted it more than everybody else mm. 
Um, I really was quite awful at it. Um, still to this day, I can't make a photocopy of work. And I worked for Xerox and won President's Club six years out of six as a salesman. And I still can't make a photocopy of work. But I knew how to sell them. Mm. And I knew, how, I knew how to be nice to other people who would help me show the customers how they would work. And so collaborating has always been a really important part of the way I, I work. Um, along the way, and again, it was uh, towards my end of my time at Xerox. Uh, so I, I was, what, 32-ish. And I had quite a large team of people working for me at that point. Maybe, uh, maybe a couple of, couple of 300 people. Um, I went on a Stephen Covey course, uh, which was the Seven Habits, and there were some things that came away from from that Seven Habits course that just resonated. Now there was a lot of the stuff that I'd already uncovered and identified for myself. Um, you know, I, 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 the idea of having a goal and working towards your goal was clearly a better plan than not having a goal. But the Stephen Covey one, the idea of starting with the end in mind and putting the effort in to define what good looks like in your world was incredibly important, incredibly important. The idea of seek first to understand before you ask to be understood. The moment I got that, that, that in every conversation, not trying to get other people to listen to you, but listening to them and listening to their context, was vital and if you want to sell something going in and going in and and just downloading what you know isn't the way to sell the way to sell is to listen to somebody else's aspirations their objectives their priorities and then whatever you sell is can then be the fix to the problem or the fix to the issue or the accelerator to where they're trying to get to and i love that idea there were a bunch of other things around Covey that I loved, but but as but what it gave me is is two you know a couple of very simple ideas to follow, and the idea of planning everything, seeking first. So so in other words, most people in life, they build they take one day and they add the next day on top of that day, almost like it's an extrapolation. And every moment and every thought is an extrapolation of the last thought, which is, if you started with a really shit thought, all you're doing is extrapolating more shit thoughts. But if you start from this idea, in the perfect world, what does good look like? If you start from that idea, all of a sudden you do a reset every time you think about something. So in the perfect world, what does good look like? Is totally aspirational it's pointing at the top of a mountain not saying i'm going to just go out today and i'm going to do the next step on the same journey i was on before it, it's it changes the trajectory of the way you think you then look at that with the second question which is what are the values of good so in my context what that means is what am i prepared to do and not prepared to do to win because I'm not prepared to pull other people down to win. I want to share all my best ideas. I believe in, in um, abundance mentality. I believe in this idea that if you've got great ideas, share it as much as you can. 
for one thing, it reinforces it, makes it, makes you accountable to yourself and to others for living those values. But the other thing it does is it, is it creates space in your mind to think up other new great ideas. So abundance mentality, I think, is incredibly important. And that's another Covey idea. The alternative to that is scarcity mentality. And you see so many people locked into this idea of scarcity. The idea that there isn't enough for everybody. The idea that if I give my ideas away, they'll just use it and beat me. It's such a totally awful idea. Because then you put all of your energy into trying to protect a position you're stuck in. So you can't move forward listening to new ideas or taking new thoughts on or trying new things. So starting with the end in mind means for me starting with a desired state in the perfect world, what does good look like? Then looking at your current state, which is where am I today versus where I want to be? Where am I versus where I wanted to be? Which basically causes you to be brutally honest as to where you really are. And most people are going, oh, I'm all right, I'm doing okay. Look, it's all right, it's all okay. But the truth is, that is against yesterday's paradigm. If you look out and you say, okay, what could I be? What could I get to? How could I get somewhere? You then look at, well, where am I now today? You go, oh my God, that's quite brutal. Holy crap, I've got a whole load of work to do. I really am underperforming on this front, on that front, on that front. Okay, you're now then into a plan of how do I take what I do well and how do I amplify that? And how do I look at the things that I don't do so well? For in my case, I mean, there are certain things I can't even fix, like dyslexia. I'll never be able to fix my dyslexia but I can build strategies around me to minimize its impact. But, you know, if I was to make a job, take a job choice and to go and become a lawyer, where I have to be really precise with language, when I have word blindness and I miss small words out in sentences, or if I was to go and become, I don't know, a copy editor, That'd be a terrible role for me because clearly I'd be useless at it. So it's really important to be able to self-analyze yourself without allowing yourself to become constricted by the things that you're limited by. So understanding what you do really well, and I think I've, I've been lucky in that I build friendships easily. I'm really, I find it really easy to think clearly I'm very I find it very easy to think in models so I've got a, a bunch of models that identify the way that I'm going to operate and the way I'm going to manage priorities and then and then having auditing processes to to identify how you are how you're performing on, on that journey now those are the things I've, I've found through my life that I'm able to control and deliver performance and that's what's allowed me to move through my life and to create so so I don't have a resume but I do have a pile of graphs and so if anyone ever wants to talk to me about joining their company I bring out a pile of graphs because I find it very hard to say I've done everything well 
because I haven't. But if you look at the macro perspective of everywhere I've worked, I've created graphs and all of the graphs go northeast. Um, and all of the graphs demonstrate that if you give me something, I'll give it back to you in a better state than you gave it to right. me. Right. Rather than me trying to justify that I don't mess up along the way, because mm. I really do mess up a lot. But because I'm constantly auditing myself, I mess up sm in small ways, I mess up early, and I micro-correct. Mm -hmm. And I have lots of friends who, are, who I've appointed in my life to be auditors of me. Yes. And so, you know, I have, I'm surrounded by people who I trust who are quite different from me, but they are, um, they spend a great deal of time supporting me at a macro level, each one of them, by giving me feedback. Yep. So, you know, yesterday we were at a presentation I did and I asked three people after that presentation, how did I do? What could have been better? And funny, well, the funny thing is, one of those people is 19 and was in a car with three of his colleagues and he called and gave me feedback in the car and I was in the car with my wife. How could you ask for anything more than that? Yeah. That the fact is people, regardless of their role in your life, understand that you care enough to hear the feedback to allow you to get better. And without feedback, you live, in a, live a life of hubris. You live a life of ego. You live a life of belief that you're great. And, and it takes almost no time to drown yourself, to immerse yourself in this belief that you're really cool and really great and really, but you're just not. I think that a lot, like this is the central theme of something that I talk about. And I think so many guys are really, and I knew that I've been really looking for this in my life. And it came with the realization, you know, I wanted that so bad. I wanted honest feedback, you know? I was like, fuck, like I know I can do better. But the parameters weren't there and I went out and actively put the work in to find the guys that, you know, and, and made the effort to pull them into my world. Um, like, how did you, I know a lot of guys are looking for this, how do you get those people in your life? Um, I think you kiss a lot, a lot of frogs. <laughs> I was going to try and give you a clever answer, but, but the truth is you have to actually view yourself as being a scientific adv adventure. And you've got to always be looking for feedback from, from wherever it comes. And a lot of the times that feedback won't come from where you think it's going to come from, but I think, but I think that you know, kiss a lot of frogs, ask a lot of people, tell me what you think, and if somebody's giving you answers that sound too good to be true, have the humility to just go, mm, not sure, 
and there are lots of people who will basically suck your dick. <laughs> uh, but that isn't really helpful. The truth is, you could always be better. You could always get it right. You always, you, you, you could always um, inflect better. You could have always um, taken more time. You could always have have handled a question better. You could all, there's always something you could have done better. Um, sometimes the energy is, you, you, might, you might be having massive energy, but you, your, your content missed its point because your jokiness or whatever it might be over, overwhelmed the actual real message you meant to send. Uh, sometimes you, halfway through a sentence, you look like you've lost the plot or whatever it might be. There's always feedback and, and you've got to try and find people who are prepared to give you feedback. Um, that, I, I, think, I think that, so what I try to do is I try to find people who aren't like me. Um, I try to find people who had different values. Uh, I try to find people who have experience and I try to find genuine things that I can admire in them. And admiring, so, so trying to find, a, one of the risks in the world I live in is for me to admire people who look like me, who act like me, who have my values. But the truth is, you know, God gave me a set of things, like with you. You know, you walk into a bar and without saying anything, you can probably get ladies' attention. Don't be proud of that thing, it's just a thing. Helping one of your mates get noticed by pretty ladies is something worthy of comment because that's something that requires thought requires action and requires humility building your mates up in the eyes of other people who might not pay attention to him first of all that's a really valuable thing standing up for someone who's being bullied those things are valuable having clarity being able to bring clarity to someone seeing somebody who's a wounded animal and sitting them down and saying it's time to forgive yourself it's time to move on it's time to back off the bullet the, the, the beating up you're you're doing of yourself those are really valuable things you know seeing somebody who's anguishing if you know somebody is working hard, if they're peddling hard and they're failing, I've always believed it's my responsibility to help them out. And I, again, if you think of it, peddling, steering and balance. People need help with steering and balance, but they own the responsibility for peddling. If someone's peddling their ass off, trying really hard to do stuff, I believe I have a moral responsibility to find a way to 
do my best to help them to be successful. Now, that isn't the same as people who are telling you they're peddling. And there are lots and lots and lots of people who tell you that they're hustling and tell you that they're doing stuff, but really all they're trying to do is eat off other people's plates. And you've got to be wary of those sorts of people because they, they, they f hang around anyone who looks like they've got anything going on, like flies around shit. So you have to be able to clear, clearly identify when people are bringing something to the story. So someone who's really hustling I believe they're bringing something to the story. I believe that if somebody is trying really hard and crashing and burning, the likelihood is they're doing something really, really well. But there's a load of people who are the sly dogs who hang around the outside and they're trying, they're trying to be associated and they're trying to live in the, um, live in the aroma of the person in the middle who's doing something. And those are the ones who are the poison. Those are the ones that'll kill you. Those are the ones that'll eat at your plate and then shit on your front doorstep. And they're the ones that do you harm. And you've got to get rid of those people out of your life as quickly as possible. Absolutely. Um, so let's, you know, sort of riff off that when you see those people that are struggling, they're having a hard time, but they want it, they, they really want it. They might self-sabotage themselves and... Like, how do you bring the best out of someone if they're failing or they're on the edge of giving up? I think the first thing is you've got to get them back to a plan. And, and the plan is exactly the same plan always. Start with the end in mind. So in your world, what does good look like? What are you prepared to do to get to good? What's working, what isn't working in your life to help you get to good? You know, I mean, I, I, there's a young man I'm thinking about right now in this subject. The person doesn't work for us, so I'm not, I'm not about to embarrass him in that context. But this young man has very, very strong parents. The parents are reasonably well off. Um, he's one of three brothers. The other two brothers seem to have got their act together and know where they're going. And this young man, suffering de from depression, and that is often a trait, uh, and, and, and reality is more or less given up. You know, he's gone to, he's working as a, as a commie chef in, in, a, in a, uh, a restaurant. And nice kid, really nice kid. And when you talk to him, he's, there's nothing, there's, he's not stupid. A little bit overweight, hasn't had a girlfriend, is 21 years old. Um, when he's not working, he's pretty much sleeping. And another friend of mine asked me if I would sit down and talk to him. And he ran and he, he ran around and avoided and was too busy for the meeting and blah 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 over and over and over again. And so I turned up at his house. And I walked in and said to this person, Let's go and have a coffee. Then we went and had a coffee. And the body language was all over the place. Arms crossed, feet out front, uh, face like he was sucking a lemon. Um, and I just basically said, said this. 
you look like you're a prisoner in this conversation. And I'm not going to force you to have a conversation with me. If you would like to talk, I'm here for you. If you don't want to talk, that's also okay. So I'm going to, for a moment, I'm going to talk about me. I'm going to talk about growing up depressed. And I'm going to talk about stuff I dealt with as I was going up. If any of it's of interest to you, I'll continue to talk. If it's not of interest, we'll finish our coffee, I'll drive you home, and I'll wish you well. So I'll talk about me, and I'll talk about what I think you may be going through, and you don't have to say yes or no at all. Anyway, I, I, I talked a little bit about the pressures he must feel. I talked about the pressures we all feel, whether it, his desire to get a, get a girlfriend, his desire to be taken seriously, his desire to be able to go and f try and fail and do things on his own, his desire to, to have friends who wanted to hang out with him because he was pretty much a loner at the time. Anyway, so it's been a little while now and um, he put a plan together and his number one plan was he didn't want to live at home. He didn't want to have to talk to his dad about his brothers. He wanted to build his own plan. He wanted to, he wanted, so, so he moved in with a, another person I know into their, into their apartment. Uh, he made a commitment to some things he was going to do. He, he was going to work out. He was going to walk to work. He was going to um, cut out sweets and Coke and other crap. And he was only going to drink as a as a, a reward for um, for having done something virtuous. I like it. I like that. Yeah, and it, it's quite a cool thing if you change your habit from drinking things you enjoy, whether it's coke or beer or whatever, to drinking it as a reward. Just that one thing gives you a feeling of virtue which gives you a gives you a building block in a wall that you can start building on it's a real thing it's a it's something you've achieved and life is a set of achievements and as you move forward in your life it's the it's the creation of proof points of achievement to yourself which allow you to build your wall and go further so anyway this this young man seems to be showing progress seems to be showing real progress he's now front of house um, he's got a lovely personality he's got he's got a really easy wit when he talks to a, a new customer coming through the door of the restaurant um, he's lost a load of weight um, he's because he's earning a little bit more money he's bought a little, bought some some new clothes and these uh, clothes are on a slightly smaller body and he looks, he's looking good for, good for it. And I don't know that he's got a girlfriend, but there is a hell of a lot of flirting going on with a particular waitress at the moment. Um, and, you know, okay, that's not life-changing overall in the macro sense. But in the micro sense, just having a better plan, the little things have enabled him to get some momentum going.
Once we've got the momentum going, hopefully we can do some steering of that and change some of the goals and maybe get back to college and do some stuff that he meant to do and find a new path to his to his career. Um, you know, uh, but I think that those are the things that, as leaders of people, we own an accountability to. We lead, we, it, you know, I've always believed the definition of bad leadership is people who want to be liked more than they like other people. And the definition of good leadership is those people who like other people more than they want to be liked. I'd really just I love what you said about, you know, going to the bar and the difference between, you know, going out and say, meeting a girl for yourself or whatever. And the feeling that I get when I go out with, say, some other mates that don't really know how to talk to girls, I don't know. It is a whole nother experience. And it feels so good, you know, to watch that person step out of their comfort zone and see success in their life. Well, here I am. I'm 55 years old. I'm still talking to my friends who I've known for all of these years and all of our funniest stories come from what we did together th- through our lives and whether it was whether it was going to a bar and talking to girls or whether it was doing business together or whether it was selling together whether it was knocking on doors whether it was negotiating and buying companies or whatever it might be um, all of our funniest stories all of our best stories come from this idea which was that we didn't quite know what it was going to be but we were going to go out and we were going to live honestly and have a really good time and look after each other on the way and that's an incredible thing and I watch you know I work in a peer group of people and my competitor who actually lives on this same road down there. (laughs) uh, That's so funny. (laughs) And one of my, who I've known for 25 years, uh, my biggest customer, several people in my biggest customer and a bunch of other people as well. And we just throw the ball backwards and forwards, not to the detriment of our customers or our shareholders or anything like that. But we throw the ball backwards and forwards, trying to lift each other up all the time in the way we try to operate. And it's such a rewarding way to live life. Absolutely. Yeah. And how do you, how have you nourished relationships over the long term? You know, like, like how do you maintain these as you go traveling? You Obviously, you know, you might move to a different country for work and all these okay. things happen. How do you... So people, people you've spent every day of your life talking to for two years, three years. I've got friends, a particular friend of mine, Beto, who I speak to once a year, probably. And it's almost as if we had seen each other yesterday, always. Because our values are aligned, because mm. our dedication to each other. But if he called and said, I'm in trouble... Or if I called and said, I'm in trouble, and I was anywhere in the world, you'd just know. 
one way or another, that phone call would make the world a bit better. Mm. You just know. Mm. And, you know, I mean, let's hope we don't have to make those calls. But when we have done, the world just got slightly better. Yeah. Whether it's introductions for a new job or whether it's, uh, uh, whether it's literally you are stuck somewhere and you need someone to help you help you send your money, send your vehicle, send a driver, whatever it is, you just know the world just got slightly better if you have to make that call. Mm. But that that is a thing that you you don't create those those relationships by taking. You create those relationships by giving. And it's the thing that you always give. And you always look for reasons to give. And you never look for reasons for taking. And that's the key thing. And I watch people trying to create strong bonds and, and, and looking at it like it's a tally sheet. You know, I gave you this, therefore you should give me that. I think that's nonsense. The truth is, some of us can walk into a room and create a cabaret. Some of us can't. Some of us can go and work in another... I've worked in a number of my best friends' companies as a consultant with one mission, to make them look better. So at no point could it be about me looking better. It had to be about them looking better. And if you look at your relationship with clients, if every client you meet, every customer you meet, if you decide you're going to try and make their lives, their world better, ultimately what you're building is you're building a pile of goodwill. And some of those will turn into amazing, sustaining relationships. Fantastic. So uh, let's start to wrap it up we've got two final questions that <laughs> I think I've talked too much that was great no, no no not at all so usually you finish off something that you do to unwind after you've put in the hard yards you've you've hustled you've hit a goal you've achieved something what is a simple reward that you like to give yourself for for some people it's a cigar you know they sit back and have a big stogie other people have a glass of scotch. Some people like chocolate. Others like to just stop and relax. What's the what's a small token of appreciation to yourself you give? I'll give you two ways. The first thing to first thing to bear in mind: only a moron actually stops. Because when you're on a high, you're invincible. Water turns into champagne, and and mud turns into gold. When you're on a high, everything's great. So why on earth would you ever cut yourself off when things are going great? When things are going great, run it as hard and as fast and as far as you can. It makes no sense to stop when things are working. To me, anyway. I'm sorry. It doesn't make any sense. When things are going great, do more of it because it feels fucking epic. And sooner or later, some shit's going to happen and it's, you're going to be back at the bottom of the hill again trying to push up the next hill. But 
So when things are going well, don't stop. Um, the other thing is, when things are really epic and you've done something incredible, like you're the top salesman in Europe, or you've achieved a level of earning that you've never done before, market. Market was something that's going to be there when the going is tough, because the going will be tough again at some point. So I bought myself a Cartier in 1987 when I was the top salesman in Xerox in Europe. And it was a Cartier Panther. Um, my, it, it looks small now against modern, modern standards. It looks slightly weird when you put it, but every time I put it on, it gives me a moment and a feeling of reassurance that I'm not always a wanker that really there have been moments when I've been a winner. Um, this year I bought this uh, Breitling. It's a beautiful watch. And again, I just wanted to recognise that we've had an amazing year. Our team had done amazingly and every single one of our divisions had done record things and every single target we set, we beat it. Every single thing. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm, I, this is not a state of hubris, this is not a state of big-headedness, because I know here we are, what, two, two, two months into the new year, and we're already really fighting for our lives against certain targets right now. Um, but this watch was to recognise that moment in time, just that moment in time to bring me back to that feeling that I got over the finish line, my team got over the finish line, everybody got over the finish line, and it felt amazing. Mm. And I want to remember that feeling. In, the, in my garage at home, I have a, a British Racing Green Jaguar that I bought uh, when I was 38 years old. So it's old now. And it's British Racing Green. It's an XJR. It's um, it's I, I got it dechromed at the time because at thirty eight you don't want an old man Jag. Uh, so I got it dechromed. It it's uh, it, it's got uh, sports racing seats in it. Um, See, things that's done. It's. Well, it would be maybe if I put some love into it and said. But the the thing is, every morning I want to walk out and I get in my car, I look across at this thing and I remember why I bought it. And it was, it was to note and remind me at the time. Now, the funny thing is that the, whereas the watches make sense 20 years on, the car doesn't because it's now an old car. So it now needs a load of money and a load of love uh, just to get it back to where it should be. Whereas the watches make really good sense. But but I, I really do believe that there are times in your life when you've just done something really special. And it could be, I'm talking to my son now, it could be winning the nationals in the rowing eights. And knowing that you put all that work in for three years to get to the nationals, to win the nationals. It could be... 
winning cross-country work. It could be a soccer thing. It could be, it doesn't matter what it is. Those are the little bricks in your wall that give you the confidence to know that you're not a complete washout when the going gets tough. 100%. That was fantastic. I like that answer more than any other we've had. So finally, um, we always have three things to for a guy so that at the end of the week, you know, tips, suggestions, again, answer this however you want, but three tips or suggestions for a guy so that at the end of, end of the week, he knows that he's lived a bit more and regretted a bit less. Do something kind. Generous. Authentic. Number one. Um, number two. List five things that you can cross off your to-do list. You know, as, as you go through life, your to-do list gets longer and longer and longer. But refuse to go home until you've at least crossed off five solid, valuable things off your to-do list. Am I allowed to be a little rude? Absolutely. Remember to wank. It might be a small thing, but it's something you control. You can always control. And sometimes when you're living life, it feels like you have no control of anything. If you start your day controlling that one thing, Nobody can ever say that you, you achieved nothing in that day. Mate, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode with myself and Richard Hoy. I'm going to throw a quick right hook your way. It would mean the world to me if you could just jump over to the review section, throw us a review, throw us five stars, and we can keep this ball rolling.